Doug Ford is being criminally investigated for how he handled the green belt. Hundreds rally in front of the legislature in Regina against the bigotry of the Scott Moe government. An underwater pipeline and data cable between Finland and Estonia has been sabotaged. And updates from Israel and Palestine. Good morning. It's Wednesday, October 11th. I'm Nora. Here are your headlines. First to Ontario, where the RCMP has announced it is investigating the Doug Ford government's Greenbelt fiasco. RCMP Corporal Christy Vienstra announced that they were investigating the decision to open parts of the Greenbelt for development. I gotta say, as an Ontarian, this is just so sweet. Classic corruption never gets police attention in that province. And while my guess is that nothing will come of this, it absolutely rules seeing Doug Ford under the eye of a criminal investigation. But I digress. The RCMP said that no one should expect to hear much about their investigation until it is quote-unquote carried out, citing the need to quote, protect the integrity of the investigations, unquote. The investigation is being handled by the Sensitive and International Investigations Unit. CBC's Sarah Jabakanji reports this about the unit. Quote, Sensitive, high-risk matters that cause significant threats to Canada's political, economic, and social integrity of its institutions across Canada and internationally. Unquote, the Forces website explains. The squad performs political investigations that examine elected officials on allegations of fraud, financial crimes, corruption, and breach of trust. I also find it very interesting from a PR perspective that this squad gets such an explanation as sensitive high risk matters that cause significant threats. It's like, I guess the politicians themselves do threaten Canada, but you could just say that you're an anti-corruption squad and leave it at that. Anyway, Jabakanji reminds readers that after two legislative watchdogs found that there was funny business related to the decision to remove certain tracts of land from the Greenbelt to allow their owners to develop the heck out of them, plus after a ton of scrutiny from journalists, Ford reversed course and said he would no longer remove the tracts of land. The deals were worth somewhere in the $8 billion plus range. The article ends with this line, quote, Ford has previously said he is confident nothing criminal took place, unquote. Now, what seems obvious to me is that Ford's decision to backtrack was likely done with either the direct knowledge or a strong hunch that there might be a criminal investigation. Reversing course would go a long way to stopping him from being criminally responsible for something, as now officially nothing has happened. While Ford might get his wrist slapped, it's unlikely that charges will be laid against him, is my bet. But... Hey, what do I know? Maybe I'll be wrong. I'm excited to see. (laughs) Next to Regina, where hundreds of people rallied in front of the Saskatchewan legislature to denounce the provincial government's plans to exempt itself from respecting the guaranteed charter rights of trans children. The government wants to force schools to seek permission from parents if a student wants to change their name or pronouns at school. There was a smaller, more hate-filled rally adjacent to the larger one, and police formed a line to keep the two separated. The bigger rally, the one opposing the Mo government, was organized by the Saskatchewan Federation of Labour and the Canadian Civil Liberties Association. 
CBC journalists Alexander Kwan and Jason Warwick covered the rally and talked to many people about why they were out on the street to protest Scott Moe's government. From someone who was a trans kid in high school to a United Church reverend, people said they were out to ensure that vulnerable kids were not made even more vulnerable by their government's decisions. The journalists also talked to one parent who was on the other side, Tony Wells, Tony was mad about pamphlets that were left behind by Planned Parenthood at a school after a sex ed presentation to a grade nine class. She said that she wants a policy that, quote, will keep her informed. We have the right to know what going on with our children, unquote. Yeah, guys, there's a typo in that. But the article doesn't interrogate Wells' comments. The pronoun and name policy would do nothing to stop a group like Planned Parenthood from leaving behind pamphlets after a talk. Those pamphlets weren't part of the class or the curriculum, at least according to an article linked to this article explaining what Wells is concerned about. Unless Mo develops a no-leaving-behind-pamphlets policy, Tony Wells will find herself disappointed. But also, maybe Wells is lying about what she's concerned about, as she also told CBC that Mo, quote, has had no choice to use the Northwich Standing Clause, Something that is very funny for someone to say, because of course, Mo has a choice, obviously. I mean, what the hell? The journalists could have pushed back a little bit more rather than letting Ms. Wells' comments just float out there as if they make sense. The article ends with comment from the province's former Lieutenant Governor, Gordon Barnhart, who says that, quote, it's likely that Mo's government will get its way and pass the legislation, unquote. Something that, sure, one might think if the popular pressure to fight this decision doesn't exist. But social movement power that builds to oppose unjust laws can force governments into changing course. I wouldn't be so sure as to think that it's definitely going to pass. This rally is an example of people organizing so that it doesn't pass. People still do have the power to change a government's mind through threatening their grasp on power. And CBC always forgets that side of the democratic equation, even if they're literally at the rally at the time of the article. Next to news from the Associated Press that an undersea gas pipeline and telecommunications cable that connects Finland and Estonia has been damaged, and that damage quote, appears to have been caused by external activity, unquote. The announcement was made by Finnish officials. The damaged line is called the Baltic Connector Pipeline, and they noticed a drop in pressure that caused the operator to shut down the gas flow. Finnish Prime Minister Petteri Orpo said, quote, according to a parliamentary assessment, the observed damage could not have occurred as a result of normal use of the pipe or pressure fluctuations. It is likely that the damage is the result of external activity, unquote. The pipeline started operating in 2020 and is 77 kilometers long. It runs from the Finnish city of Inku to Peldiski in Estonia. It's bi-directional and transfers natural gas between the two countries, depending on demand and supply. The Associated Press reports that the gas was flowing from Finland to Estonia when it was shut down. From Estonia, the gas would have after been sent to Latvia. The leak occurred in an area considered the responsibility of Finland, and damage to the data cable owned by Finnish company Elisa was located in the zone that is the responsibility of Estonia. Estonian officials said that they could confirm that the damage was massive and could not have only been done by a single diver or a small robot. At a NATO defense ministers meeting in Brussels this week, NATO Secretary General Jens Stoltenberg said that the issue would, quote, likely be put on the agenda, unquote. 
The pipeline cost 300 million euro to build and it was mostly financed by the European Union. And finally, two updates from Palestine and Israel. First, the Times of Israel is reporting that last night, Israel bombed 200 targets in Gaza. One of those strikes reportedly hit the home of family related to Mohammed Deif, Hamas's military commander. The Times draws on reports from both Palestinian and Hebrew media saying that Deif's brother, son and grandniece were all killed. Israel also bombed the Al Furqan neighborhood in three separate military assaults, hitting 450 targets there. The death toll from Hamas's massacre now ranges from 900 to 1,300 dead, depending on which media you read. And those numbers are all coming from legitimate sources. And from Al Jazeera, the Palestinian Wafa news agency has reported that Israeli forces dropped white phosphorus bombs on the Al Karama neighborhood in Gaza. The substance is banned by international law if used where military targets are located among civilians. They also report that fears in Lebanon are growing of increasing violence. On Monday, Hezbollah said that three of their members were killed by Israeli shelling. An Israeli deputy commander and two Palestinian fighters also died Also died in attacks near southern Lebanon in what Al Jazeera calls cross-border violence. Death toll estimates in Gaza range from 680 to 900, though these numbers are stymied by the fact that search, rescue and recovery operations have been made difficult by the fact that Israel has shut off power to Gaza. Those are your headlines for Wednesday, October 11th. I'm Nora. I hope you have a wonderful day.